Dr. Frank Avila Show. I'm your host, Dr. Carolyn Frank Avila, board certified family physician and diplomate with the American Board of Obesity Medicine. I've been helping patients lose weight to treat and prevent medical problems for the last 10 years, and I'm taking what I've learned from them to you. In this podcast, you will learn the science behind why you struggle with your weight and what to do about it, tips for common challenges, work to fight bias about what a healthy weight really is, and improve your relationship with food and your body. Please remember that while I'm a doctor, I'm not your doctor. This podcast is meant to be informational in nature only, not medical advice. Please seek out care from your physician for your specific needs. Okay, let's get started. Hello there and welcome to the podcast. Today we have some more Ask Dr. Francovilla questions and I am really excited to share my answers with you. We are going to talk about poop today. We are going to talk about medications. We are going to talk about medications for children and we are going to talk about surgery a little bit more with some of the questions we got. So stay tuned for all of those. And I hope that you will learn a lot from these questions I have gotten from the audience. So let's just start off with poop because, you know, who doesn't like to talk about poop? Actually, what I've discovered as a doctor is that most people don't like to talk about this. So if you're listening to this and you're feeling a little uncomfortable, um, just know that everybody poops. It is normal. And that sometimes when you are changing nutrition or taking a medication, your poops or bowel movements, as we like to formally call them, can change. And that can be something that we need to address. So let's talk about that first. Okay. So the question I got was when I change my diet, I often get constipated. What can I do? I want to emphasize, just like at the beginning of the show that you always hear that this is not meant to be medical advice for anyone specific. This is just general information. But generally speaking, the first thing I like to do for my patients when we talk about constipation is figure out if this really is constipation. So most people are going to have a bowel movement every one to two days. So that's kind of a good standard to keep in mind. Some people might have two a day. Some people might go, you know, two days without having one. But but an average of one every day or so is, is normal in case uh, no one ever told you. And we actually care about what your bowel movements look like. There's actually this Bristol scale that will sometimes show people. My doctor actually went to the GI doctor a couple of weeks ago and he showed her that. And she, as a four-year-old, thought it was very funny to look at the different shapes of poop and say uh, which one hers looked like. But Essentially, what we're looking for is a soft, long, worm or snake-like bowel movement. So it shouldn't be hard rocks. It shouldn't be really loose and watery. Of course, those are going to happen rarely and on occasion. But on average, your bowel movement should be one big soft worm or snake-like structure when it comes out. And so if it is coming out as pellets or more hard rocks or bigger, harder, firmer pieces, then that could be a little bit of constipation. And if you are not having a bowel movement very often, you're going more than three days, that could be constipation. Now, constipation could be a sign of something more severe going on. So you should definitely run those symptoms by your doctor or your prescriber if you are having uh, new bowel changes 
especially if you're having blood in the stool, if you're going really long periods of time, you know, more than three or four days without a bowel movement, if you have pain, weight loss, any other symptoms, run that by your doctor. One of the first strategies, though, that I start off with with my patients is making sure that you have had enough water. So water is what is going to pull into your stool in order to give you a nice, soft, smooth bowel movement. And so staying hydrated is really important. So sometimes when you've changed your nutrition or started a medication for weight, you might be drinking less. And so it's really important to make sure you're getting enough water as your first step. People need at least 60 ounces of water a day, but I often have my patients drink closer to a hundred if they're working on weight. So what I do is I make sure I have a entire water bottle before lunch. If I haven't finished that before lunch, then I go ahead and drink it at that time. I do the same thing before I leave work for the day. And I try to drink all my water bottle by that point. And then I try to do that at least once more before dinner. So that is a way that I make sure I get enough water in. So if you're struggling with water, that is the first step. Another really simple step if you're having constipation is to make sure you're moving enough. So that actually physically helps things move through your digestive tract. So that can be as simple as taking some short walks, but really any sort of exercise or movement is going to help with those bowel movements. Another option, if those things are not enough, is to make sure you're getting enough fiber in. If your nutrition plan uh, gives you enough wiggle room to add some extra fiber in with fruit or beans. Those are sources of fiber that can definitely be helpful. Whole grains and vegetables are also going to have fiber as well, but our fruits tend to be the best at helping with bowel movements, though some nutrition plans may not give you that much extra fruit to eat depending on your style of eating. If that isn't enough of a way to get fiber in, you can definitely take a over-the-counter supplement like Metamucil or psyllium capsules. So there's lots of fiber supplements on the market. You want to make sure you are taking those with plenty of water or they are not going to help. And fiber also can help a little bit with fullness and is generally helpful with weight loss. So always a reasonable thing to add. If that is not doing the trick or making things worse, a lot of times I will have patients utilize Miralax, which is also over the counter. And you mix this white powder in with a large glass of water, usually drink that in the evening, and that helps soften bowel movements as well. So those are my basic tips if you are getting constipation from diet or from a medication that you are on, which is not uncommon with some of the medications that we use as well. And again, if you have any signs like pain in your belly, fever, weight loss, blood in the stool, or more significant constipation, please go see your doctor to discuss that because we would hate to miss something else like colon cancer or a bowel obstruction. So sometimes constipation can be something more significant. Now, sometimes you're not actually constipated and you're just eating less and you're having less bowel movements. So if maybe before you usually had one or two bowel movements a day and now you have changed your nutrition and you are finding that you're only having a bowel movement every other day, but it's soft, it's not hard to push out, it's not causing any other symptoms, then that just could be a change from your diet. And so maybe we don't need to do anything about that. Well, I talked about poop a lot longer than I was planning. So for those of you who were wanting to get through that part because you're not used to talking about poop, uh, we will move on. So the next 
question that I got uh, from a very nice email was asking sort of like, when is it too late to get surgery? This person described that she has lost large amount of weights multiple times in her life, now is using medication to do that and is finding great success from the medications that she's on. But she is also getting a little worried that at some point the medication might not work and she will regain that weight again. And she's wondering at what point she should just consider getting bariatric surgery and if there's an age at which it's just too late to get bariatric surgery. And I think this is a a really wonderful question. We had a podcast with uh, Carly early on in the show where we talk a lot more about bariatric surgery. And I think that's a great episode to check out. But I think if you are considering surgery at all, it is always reasonable to meet with a bariatric and metabolic surgeon and get their impression of if you are a good candidate, if it's a safe time in your life to get the surgery and what the realistic expectation of results for surgery would be for you. Because, you know, what we know is that lifestyle, meaning nutrition, mindfulness, and exercise are going to work for some people. But for most people, those are not going to work forever. We have various intensity of medications, which we cover in a podcast episode as well, that also work with varying degrees of effectiveness. And that is going to increase the chance that someone has long-term weight loss. And then we have surgery, which is often our most definitive, meaning our most likely solution to work long-term. So I always encourage any of my patients, if it's on your mind, schedule a consultation with a bariatric surgeon. You don't need a referral in most cases. A lot of times they have meet and greets and open houses. A lot of them have great materials online. But meet with the surgeon and see if they think it's a good fit. Because again, it is the most likely to be a long-term solution. And if you have struggled with weight on and off for decades and you like the idea of surgery and you're comfortable with that idea, you should absolutely pursue that discussion because again, it is the most likely based on what we have right now to give you long-term results. And so absolutely have that discussion with the bariatric surgeon We talked in the episode about bariatric surgery about how if one thing doesn't work for your body, just moving on to the next thing. It's not a failure. It's just listening to what your body needs and setting realistic expectations. So by all means, if you're not seeing the results you want or you want something more definitive, longer lasting, surgery is a fantastic option have that consult. I don't think there's a formal age max, though certainly the older people get, we are going to be a little more cautious with surgeries in general because there may be more risk associated with that surgery. Um, The flip side as well is the longer you wait, the longer you have diabetes, the longer you have heart disease, the longer you have kidney disease, the higher risk surgery may be as well. So it may be better to get that surgery before any of those medical problems progress and get worse, especially again, since surgery often is a much more likely to succeed long-term solution. Okay. So another great topic that has come up is my patients who are having a really 
great success on a medication and they are realizing that they now feel how other people feel. And what I mean by this is they will describe now with the medication that they do feel like they can make choices around food. They feel in control of how much they eat and they finally feel full. They didn't realize that they were not feeling full the way other people were. And they're finally losing weight doing the things that they had always tried to do or always had been doing, like eating healthy, balanced meals, moving on a regular basis. And all of a sudden it's working. And a lot of frustration, anger, and feeling sometimes even a little exploited by the diet industry and the food industry that took advantage of people who, you know, don't feel full and have more cravings. And the fact that, you know, they lived this really challenging life without a medication. And how do they sort of move on from that? So that's kind of a complicated question stem, but essentially, you know, this medicine's working. I now realize this is how other people felt. And how do I get over that anger and that frustration that this, my life, what could my life have been like? What would my life have been like without this medication? And I would just encourage you, if you're feeling this way, to number one, it's okay to feel your feelings, right? Feel that process that it's okay to have a little grief, realizing that you could have had a different life, that things may have been easier for you if you had had access to your treatment beforehand. But this is something that a lot of people go through with their medical conditions. So I have people that I see for depression And they come in after being on their medication for a couple of months and they're like, I wish I would have started this 10 years ago. I had no idea that I could feel this good. I had no idea I could just wake up and do things in the morning. I see this for my patients with ADHD, right? They don't get diagnosed sometimes till they're 30 or 40 years old and they start treatment and they understand how their brain works. And they suddenly, you know, have all these successes, complete all these things they wanted to do. And they're really frustrated. What would my life have looked like if I had been on treatment beforehand? And I always encourage people to just try to let go of that, right? We cannot change the past. All we can do is move forward in the new situation that we are in. And so we can embrace the fact that now we do have a treatment or a medication that works for us and that lets us live the life that we want to live. So, you know, feel your feelings and then recognize there's nothing you can do about that past version of yourself. And all you can keep doing is moving forward and taking advantage of the treatment that you have that's working for you and embrace that. I think along with that comes a realization that you probably have unnecessarily been blaming yourself and letting other people blame you for your weight. And when you finally have a treatment solution that's working, you realize it wasn't your fault. And how much energy did you waste being stressed, being upset, being depressed, feeling like a failure because you did not have the physiology treated that was making you gain or regain weight. And again, like letting go of some of that guilt and just accepting that you have something that works for you, I think, you know, is really powerful. I think we have a tendency to want to blame ourselves for health problems. And there's sort of this history of, you know, us 
doing that to other people. We often try to find a cause or a blame, right? Well, did you do this? So I personally, right now, I'm having some dental issues going on. And I did that immediately too. Like, what could I have done to prevent this? Um, What caused this? I did a little bit of a Google spiral, you know, trying to figure out what was going on, why I was having this dental problem. People were giving me like completely unsolicited advice. I was like, it's not a cavity. It's something else. It's this weird thing. And finally, I had to take my own advice, the things that I would tell my patient, which it is what it is. There's nothing I could do to change what happened. And all I can do is trust my my dentist to take care of the problem that's going on and let go of any frustration about why this may have happened or what could have caused it if there was anything I could do differently and just move forward and accept the fact that that I'm going to get this problem fixed, even though it's super frustrating that it happened in the first place. So those are some of the mind traps we can get into with medical problems of trying to blame ourselves or get frustrated, you know, wish we could go back in time and do something different. And that is fine to feel those feelings, like feel them, be upset. And then at some point we have to just move forward and embrace the fact that we have treatment, have a solution, and that we can sort of live our lives, right? Move forward and be healthy. Focus on that. The last question I want to talk about today is about medications for pediatric patients or medications for children. And I have been getting a lot of questions about this from from everyone recently. And it's interesting because this isn't entirely new, but what is, I think, prompting these questions is that in early 2023, the American Academy of Pediatrics, the AAP, released a really nice, very comprehensive document that talked about treating and preventing obesity for children. And it very clearly sort of acknowledged and supported the use of medications as indicated for kids 12 and up. And those are now uh, FDA approved. So we have multiple medications, Husimia, Saxenda, Wagovi, that are now approved for ages 12 and up. And now we have the AAP that's come out and said, use these and possibly even use them in younger children, depending on the situation. They also endorsed and supported bariatric surgery in in pediatric patients. And this was a little upsetting to a lot of the general public, to the world. And, you know, it's interesting because every time we have a new treatment or a solution, there are people who really have a hard time wrapping their head around it because they want to go back to this mindset of, diet and exercise, right? Well, isn't it just diet and exercise? And I think the document does a really good job, the document from the AAP, of talking about all those other solutions. It is really, really comprehensive. It talks about nutrition. It talks about intensive behavior counseling. It talks about screening for eating disorders and treating those. It talks about depression. It talks about social determinants of health. So it's not saying like, hey, just use meds. Like that's all we're going to do. It recognizes how complex this problem is, and it recognizes that we also need to prevent obesity still, and that we need to look at the individual child and see how complicated they are, right? 
And that there's different stages, right? So there may be kids who are just over that growth curve and maybe we can do some really basic counseling and just inform the family and observe. And then there are kids that are way above and beyond where they should be on the growth curve and that we need to get blood work for those kids and see what's going on. And if those kids have signs of prediabetes or high cholesterol or already having liver problems, then we probably should be treating those children, right? This isn't saying every kid needs a medication, but it's finally recognizing that for some kids, doing nutrition and exercise isn't enough. In medicine, we always talk about the risk and the benefit of of any treatment we do, whether it's surgery or whether it's a medication or even whether it's a new diet strategy, right? What is the benefit? And is the benefit going to be more important and more likely than whatever risks could come along with that medication? So we would not recommend a medication for every single child, but you know, we see kids who have prediabetes or already have diabetes. If you have that going on as a 13-year-old, that is going to affect your development. That may affect your peer relationships. I've seen kids who, you know, are getting bullied because of their weight. They don't want to participate in gym class because they don't want to change in front of their friends. They don't have a shirt that can even fit them at their school in their gym class. So there are real things that are happening that are going to negatively impact this kid as they grow up. It's going to put them at risk for heart disease. So there are real repercussions and we need to evaluate and be able to treat these kids in some way and give them a strong enough treatment. And so for some kids, that is going to be a medication. And for some kids, that may even be surgery. Again, that's not going to be where we jump to for most children, but Now, I think it's really important to recognize that those tools are something that are going to be more encouraged for the kids who need those tools, right? Who are more likely to have harm, continuing to be told to watch less screens, continuing to be told to move more, continuing to be told to change their diet, seeing small results from those, but not reversing their liver disease, not reversing their diabetes, These are real problems that unfortunately we're seeing more children have as a result of weight. And so for me, I'm very excited to see that there are more organizations like the AAP coming out and saying, hey, let's use some of these other tools that we have for kids that need it. So that's sort of my answer on what do I think about the use of medications for children. I suspect that it's going to take a while for people to really fully utilize this. I imagine people who are using them for themselves might be a little more willing to try these medications for kids but i'm a parent myself right we always want to be cautious with interventions for our kids i think most of us don't want to give them a medicine that they don't need we don't want to do a procedure that they don't need and so i suspect people will be really hesitant to use these tools but i also think it's really important that we be open to them and that we utilize them for the kids who do need them because they are suffering health consequences from their weight in some cases and i think it's important that we can open up these conversations about weight more freely with parents so that we can actually do something it can be uncomfortable to tell a parent that their kid is above that growth curve and has overweight or has obesity. But 
when we let go of some of that bias and we don't think of it as a failure of parenting and we don't think of it as a failure on the kid's part and we don't think of it as anything other than a medical problem, then we can have better discussions about this and really move things forward. So just because we are upping our game and more strongly recommending using medications for some kids, that doesn't mean we're not going to stand by our basics of increasing movement decreasing screen time, improving nutritional quality of food, reducing processed food, reducing sugar, sweet beverages. Those are all still really, really important. But what we've seen is, you know, decades of recommending of that has not been enough for some kids. So that's my two cents on the pediatric medications, which again, getting lots of questions about recently, and I think is a really important topic for us to cover. But again, there are kids that are really going to benefit for that. So I think that's an exciting development in this year. All right. Well, we covered a lot today. We covered some of our own internal biases again and how to kind of move past that and change our relationship with ourselves. We talked about poop. We talked about surgery and we talked about kids a little bit. So I don't know if there's any homework for today. But I think really our goal today is just to get out there, answer some questions. If you have a question, you can email me at the drfrankavillashow at gmail.com. So that's the drfrankavillashow at gmail.com. You can go ahead and email me there. And I would love to answer it on a future episode. All right. Until next week, take care. Thank you for listening to the Dr. Frankavilla Show, where we learn about all things related to weight and health. If you love this podcast, make sure to leave those five-star reviews and share this podcast with a friend or loved one. If you have a topic about weight and health you want me to tackle, head over to the website, thedrfrankavillashow.com to submit your question. And make sure to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss next week's episode. Take care.